You're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. Now, this weekend, the festival world is on fire. The American Black Film Festival is happening in Miami, and AFI Docs is happening right here in the D.C. area. I have the filmmaking mother-son duo behind the film Animator, which will screen at ABFF this weekend. Roberta and Julian Jones on to talk about their film and the inspirational story behind its creation. I also talk with Michael Lumpkin, the director of AFI Docs, about what we can expect to see this weekend at the festival. Finally, I have friend and film critic for 710WOR, Joe Newmeyer on to talk about how he got started in film criticism and life as a critic. That's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hey everybody, this is Jeffrey Lyles of Lyles Movie Files. You're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. And in the new film, Animator, an artist gains the power to draw the future and erase the past. The film is playing this weekend at the American Black Film Festival in Miami. So for the podcast listeners, you can catch the film tonight at 8.15 p.m. at Regal 18. I have the film's writer-producer, Roberta Jones, and co-director, Julian Jones, on the line. Roberta, Julian, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's my pleasure. So the first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Roberta, we'll start with you. Well, I fell in love with film as a young girl. Um, when I saw The Wizard of Oz, it just blew my mind. And I knew film was something that could transport you to another dimension uh, as an experience and just captivate you. So after um, that, I just kind of went along the creative path toward where we are now with this movie. But I have several favorites, and the ones that I love, I've probably watched 10 or 15 times. <laughs> I hear you on that. You know, The Wizard of Oz, that's a great one. Um, when I first saw that, I, so in kindergarten, we did The Wizard of Oz play. But when I saw the film, all I remember is The Wicked Witch of the West scared the mess out of me. <laughs> However, the power of the medium, I still was captivated. So I totally understand. Julian, how about you? Oh, well, for me, I was, well, First of all, I have to be honest with my mom uh, is Roberta, so this is my mom. So I've been watching movies as long as she's been watching movies. So, well, you know, as long as I've been on Earth, I should say. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> she would always be watching watching movies and at home. We used to do the, you know, back when Blockbuster was still around and popular, we used to do Blockbuster nights a lot. And movies were kind of an important part of our, our household just coming up. So I've always been immersed in movies, always loved storytelling. And um, I got to say, I got it from my mom. You know, it's always interesting because when I ask that first question, and I've really been talking about this a lot lately on the show, is how everybody brings it back to family. And the fact that you all are mother and son, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, you know, that, that it's so cool how it even hits home even uh, more. So if I could, just from you guys, like, uh, let's get a backstory. Like, how did you guys kind of get into the industry going from, you know, hey, we're watching Wizard of Oz on TV as a younger family to now actually making what is your first feature film? 
Well, I'll I'll start off um, with I really tell I can tell you the truth, Kevin. Um, Ten years ago, I had no idea that I'd be doing anything like this. As a matter of fact, even five years ago, it was something that I really didn't think was a part of my path in life. <laughs> but I had an experience that kind of changed things for me. I got cancer a few years back, and I went through a very tough period of recovery. I mean, it lasted for years. I had several surgeries. And after I got through with my last surgery and I'm convalescing and, you know, feeling kind of like, well, why why did God keep me from perishing through this awful disease? He's taken so many people uh, through cancer. Why is it that he left me here? And then not too long after I asked that question, this idea came into my spirit. What if someone could draw the future and erase the past. And I say, whoa, that was some thought. And I, I say, that, <laughs> that thought, is it just came out of clear air. So I knew that God was speaking to me uh, in a creative manner. So I, I took the idea, and I mentioned it to Julian. We were having brunch one day, and I said, what do you think about this concept for uh, a script? He said... Uh, you know, a guy gets the power, an artist gets the power to draw the future, and he wakes the past. He said, well, Mom, if you write that script, I will animate it. Mm. I knew then this has to be a movie <laughs> because my son is such a talented animator. I mean, his work inspires me, even though I've been seeing it since he was a young kid. But once he gave me the go-ahead with the animation, because animation is such an expensive art form, mm -hmm. it is pretty much impossible to do a first-time movie in animation on a budget that's reasonable. I mean, for a 30-second commercial in the advertising world, animation costs $200,000. So that's just to give you an idea of the kind of money involved with doing animation and bringing that to screen. Right. And so it took a year uh, for me to, to write the script and to really get it tight. And when I say tight, I worked with some professional consultants. I mean, I've got to be honest, as a first-timer, I didn't really want to make the mistake of having a weak script because a weak script makes a weak movie. So I called a couple people, and I got a recommendation, and I got some help. And at the end of the time that I spent with this consultant, I knew that my script was working well. Julian loved it. Uh, he approached a friend of his, Logan Hall, who is the director of the movie. Logan loved it, and he immediately jumped on board. And that's how the movie uh, came about. Because once I got a really good director, and this is someone Julian had worked with in the commercial world, once I got a good director, I knew that it was just a matter of filling in the blanks for the rest of the team. Because once a director uh, has the respect in the industry that Logan enjoys, he can get people to work with him on any project that he chooses. So that's kind of how it happened. And I don't know, Julie, if you want to uh, jump in on whatever I left out. <laughs> I mean, I think you talk. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty thorough uh, story. I think that you pretty much hit everything. 
Well, first off, Roberta, um, congrats on your remission. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's such a inspirational sh story. I'm not going to say whether I teared up or not because this is radio. Um, but the fact that you were <laughs> that you were able, you know, to take cancer and all that you went through that experience and then um, turn it into a, a film. And, you know, as you said, just uh, allowing God to move you to uh, actually execute on something. So congrats to you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that, Kevin. Most definitely. And, you know, to, just, to, just to, to share a little bit more along those lines, the only thing stronger than my passion for creating content is my faith in God. So I really relied on him throughout this entire process. And I don't want to leave that out because it is the driving force behind what's happening here now uh, to get to the point where we are at the American Black Film Festival, which is a dream come true. Roberta, this is picture like you about to turn this into a praise show. You, you, you <laughs> slow down, slow down. <laughs> You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer-producer and the co-director of Animator, Roberta Jones and Julian Jones. Man, uh, yeah, Roberta, I'm not, I'm not lying. You, whoa, whoa, whoa. For a second, my show went from film to, oh, man. <laughs> All right, so, um, so guys, if you could, just give a summary of the film for the audience. Uh, well, Julian, do you want to do that? Uh, well, no, I, actually, I, I'll just say that it is about uh, our main protagonist, Neil, um, and he basically uh, gets the power to, um, you know, draw the future in a, in a racist past. So it kind of it's a very interesting story filled with ups and downs and happy moments and a few sad moments, but he's kind of just dealing with, you know, having that power and, and what you do with that type of responsibility and, and the things and consequences that have, that come from the choices that are made with having that power. So um, it's really about that. Um, it definitely gets into some interesting issues, interesting scenarios, but it's a, it's a really good film. And, uh, you know, anybody that's, that's in the area in Miami, please come out and watch it. We'd love to see you there. Most definitely. So yeah, I, you know, obviously, this is a little cathartic for you, uh, Roberta, in terms of writing it. So um, I would assume that a portion of being able to erase the past and, you know, draw a new future would go into your story of dealing with cancer. And I think sometimes the trials that we come up against in life, sometimes we just don't want to go through them, right? Like nobody wants that. Everybody would rather have like a happy life and no issues and, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I'm wondering, in terms of the the overall character arc for for the character, if um, that's part of what you grapple with in terms of, hey, sometimes we do have uh, those downtimes, but it makes us better as human beings. You know, Kevin, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that is exactly right. And thank you for giving me that insight. Um, and it's a high concept. Uh, the the idea of someone drawing the future and erasing the past has not been done before. And that's why I know that that idea came from uh, a higher power than just my own brain, because, I mean, I just don't think on that level. <laughs> but it is also a fantasy. It is a fantasy. And um, one thing about when you are uh, in suffering in any mode, you know, whether it's um, physical, mental, whatever kind of suffering, and we all have days like that, Fantasy is always an escape. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that part of what happened for me during those months was I was really escaping from the uh, the pain of what I was going through physically and emotionally. So yeah, Kevin, you you have you you've just given me uh, something that's really worth uh, thinking about in the future. I appreciate that insight. Oh yeah, no 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 problem. Um, you know that's one of the things that I love about cinema is that uh, many times it takes what we go through in life and then puts it up on the big screen and allows us to really kind of think and digest and, you know, how how do we deal with uh, grief? How do we deal with pain? How do we deal with love? Um, and so I think that's one of the great things that Animator will be able to do for those that are able to check it out. Um, Julian, if you could, one question that I have is, I'm always interested in what actually goes into animating uh, a film. Now, one, on one hand, it's like, okay, what goes into just the animation as is? Like, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is coming out, you know, at Christmas, and that's yeah. that, that's a fully animated film, and, you know, the cells and drawing and, like, that process. But then when you mix live action with animation, I'm sure that has to be, like, kind of wild and difficult, but if you could talk a little bit about the process um, and even kind of like the length that it takes to, to do that, because I think it's a really, I mean, hats off to you. I, I couldn't do it, but I know it takes more than just um, with a live action. Just, you know, you film it, it's in the can. Yeah, no, a great question. Um, so basically, the type of animation that we're doing that we did in this film is uh, traditional animation. So think about like back in the day with Disney uh, movies like Lion King, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Uh, that type of animation, as opposed to the Spider-Man movie that you referenced, which I'm really looking forward to as well. That's uh, 3D animation, so mm. computer animation, mm-hmm. which is just just as awesome. Um, so for the traditional animation, that basically means that the drawings are done by hand, um, and basically the, the the math that goes into it is that there's 24 frames or 24 drawings per second. So you know that you can always kind of like mix and match that a little bit, but for the for the most part, the that you have to draw out that many frames to get a second of animation. So uh, the way that we kind of did it for this one, depending on the scenario, so there's some uh, scenarios in the movie where they're completely animation. So my mom gave me liberty to kind of just tell the story just in my way through, uh, you know, just pure, you know, animation. But then there are also some other places where we had to mix in the animation with the live action. And the way that that's done is that we had to film it first get everything in the can, and then they give it to me. They give me that footage, and then from there, uh, I would use that footage to help with the animation process to make whatever happens happen. So that's usually, that's a very cliff notes version of it, but uh, but that pretty much is how it's broken down. <laughs> that's incredible. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I am talking with animators, writer-producer Roberta Jones and co-director Julian Jones, and getting a, a little education on the animation process. Julian, that's that's pretty incredible, man. Um, you know, so many times I think we see a film and we take for granted uh, what went on, you know, to actually create that animation. And uh, for, you know, traditional hand-drawn 24 frames per second, which is 24 frames, man, that's, that's crazy. So did... The, one, one question is, um, did you actually, like, draw out 24 frames each time or I know like with 
technology now, you can kind of, uh, you know, take the mainframe and then, you know, some people might draw like where it should end and then it'll create what happens in between or. Yep, that that definitely is a uh, a technique that that is used uh, for the animation that I did. I did the more traditional method, so it wasn't that easy. I, there were some some cases where I was able to use the computer to cheat just a little bit, but um, but yeah, I mean, there there are definitely ways to kind of um, you know, it's it really comes down to like what the scene, the emotion that you're trying to provoke out of it. So if you want something that's more emotional. Um, and, 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 and you really want it to, to resonate and people to feel it, um, then you, you probably have to, you know, do more frames um, to really, like, make it smoother and make sure that it's, that, that emotion is really coming through. For other scenes that they're a little bit faster, it's more action-oriented, and you can lose, use less frames. You might be able to get away with maybe 12 frames or, you know, something like that to really kind of just get the, the idea across. It's really about what you want to get out of this scene and the emotion that you want to evoke um, to, to make it work. Gotcha. So, guys, one last question as we kind of wrap out here. Um, you know, first-time first, first time feature, uh, going to ABFF, which arguably one of the biggest black film festivals in America. Um, one, I guess, how are you feeling? And then, two, what do you hope people will take away after seeing this film? Well, we're feeling good just because we won just by going – to the festival. That's how we look at it. <laughs> the fact that we've been asked to compete is, you know, it's a miracle. So what we're hoping that people will take away is that when we make choices in life, there are always consequences. And this movie really talks about a guy who makes some choices that aren't so smart. And there is a lot at stake if he doesn't understand that until the worst thing happens. And uh, and I'm just going to give you the log line just to give you an idea of what I mean by that. So this is an artist who gains the power to draw the future. And, he, and when his girlfriend commits suicide, and I'm telling you a little bit about the plot now, he learns he can erase the past with chilling consequences. So he he does it both ways. He makes it happen, and then he changes it. But there are consequences big consequences to the decisions that he makes. And, and that's what this movie is about. And we want people to have that takeaway. Got it. Julian, did you have anything you wanted to add on that or did mom cover it? <laughs> she covered it. She, she's uh, doing a great job uh, signing it up for you. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, uh, if people wanted to follow the film, follow you guys on social media, how can they do that? Oh, thank you for asking, Kevin. They can go to the Animator Movie Instagram page. That's the Animator Movie on Instagram. Or they can go to the Animator Facebook page. A lot of Julian's work is actually on the Animator Movie Instagram page. So if they want to see what stylish realism looks like, they can. That sounds great. Roberta Jones and Julian Jones, the writer, producer, and co-director of Animator. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you Thanks so much for having us. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. It's Adele here from Roll Credits. You can check me out over on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Roll Credits. I'd love to see you there and talk more about movies. You guys are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and AFI Docs is the nation's documentary film festival known for showcasing 
the best in documentary filmmaking from the U.S. and around the world. The festival has started and is currently going on today as this airs through Sunday, June 17th, so you have time to check this awesome festival out. I have the director of AFI Docs, Michael Lumpkin, on the line with me to talk about what's going on this year. Michael, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> it's my pleasure to have you. Mike, the first question, that my bad, I, that might have been a little comfortable for me to say Mike. I have a brother named Michael, so I apologize. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> I, I answer to both. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. Mike, the first question that uh, I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, I, I, I think that I, I fell in love with film. Um, I mean, I watched, you know, movies growing up, but I think when I was in college and I, I started showing films, um, you know, on campus when I was in college and, and, you know, I did that and a lot of that was documentary film and just, you know, I think it's seeing people react to film and enjoy film uh, and get something out of it. So I've, I've always been very interested in, in, in showing films to people and getting audiences in to see great movies. So it's, it started back in college, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm really interested because, uh, you, you came in, took up the mantle as director of AFI docs in 2014, correct? Yes. Well, I, I started at the beginning of 2015. Yeah. Okay. So if you could, just for the audience, could you give kind of your backstory in terms of, you know, kind of getting into the film industry and taking over as director of AFI Docs? Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I like I said, I started in college showing films and then um, kind of one of the first out of college, what, well, I was doing it in college and I was, I was in graduate school. It was kind of this thing of like, I'm spending way too much time on this festival I'm doing instead of studying. And so I just, I kind of didn't finish graduate school and then uh, went into producing a film festival in San Francisco. And that was the uh, LGBTQ film festival in San Francisco, which I ran for about 25 years. Um, and so that was, you know, during that 25 years, I took the festival from just a very kind of small, all-volunteer all organization to one of the biggest film festivals in the country. Um, and then from that, I moved on to the International Documentary Association, running that in Los Angeles. And, you know, with the uh, festival, I was noticing how audiences seemed to respond more passionately, I would say, to documentary films. And so I also, along the way, I, I produced a documentary film. And so I was uh, very much connected with the documentary community and ran the International Documentary Association for six years. And then I came to American Film Institute to run AFI Docs. Wow, it's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and I'm talking with the director of AFI Docs, Michael Lumpkin. Uh, Michael, you know, the first question that I was really thinking in terms of, you know, directing and AFI docs, um, what is it about documentary film um, that, you know, you just, one, I, I think for you having to get behind, but then two, for, you know, the American Film Institute to want to have a festival that's specifically for documentary film. Um, because I personally think that there's something powerful about the way that, you know, within movies, we look at ourselves, 
But with documentaries, you know, being of a non-fiction nature, there's something that's even more powerful as, as you're able to look at, you know, the human story and human lives. So what right. is so intriguing, I think, to you as well as maybe AFI, if you can speak on, about documentaries? Well, you know, I think all movies, you know, uh, movies, I think, move people. They can they can change people's minds. They can, you know, give you an experience that you've never had, take you to places where you've never been. Um, but I think on the documentary side of that, it is, I think it's the reality of, 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 of what you're seeing, that you're seeing kind of, you know, real people in real places. It's not a, it's not a studio set. It's not, you know, it's not like Toronto taking the place of New York city, you know, as a backdrop. Um, it's, you know, it's real. And I think that's, that's one of the things that makes documentary film much more powerful, powerful. Um, and also I, I think it the fact that a lot of documentaries are about issues about, you know, kind of problems in the world that need to change. And that's another way that documentary connects so strongly to audiences. It's like, oh, there's, I didn't know that was going on. And this film, you know, told me about that problem. It's, and it also showed me how I can make a difference. So it, it documentaries very directly can, can, you know, flow into actual, um, social action and people making a change in the world, a change in their lives, how they live in the world. So um, I think that's the unique and very special power of documentary films. Most definitely. Okay, so let's get into uh, what folks can expect to see at the festival this year. You got some amazing uh, films as well as events, uh, conversations. Um, what what would you say are some of those standout films that people should definitely check out? Well, yeah, a lot of great films and, you know, something for everybody. And also, you can't see everything. <laughs> it's impossible for one person to see everything. So you do have right. to choose. That's why I'm here to help. Uh, so um, one of the uh, kind of great films that we're showing, um, it's a world premiere of Alone in the Game, and it's a documentary about LGBTQ people in professional sports, which is kind of one of the arenas that uh, kind of have, hasn't really been broken open by the you know, LGBTQ rights movement. Um, there, there's, you know, very little, if any, kind of visibility from active professional sports players. And uh, this film takes a look at that and hopefully will, you know, help change that moving forward. Um, you know, it profiles, uh, you know, uh, people involved in professional sports maybe after they've retired, but also some LGBTQ um, people that are, you know, playing sports in college and are hoping to move into, you know, the world of professional sports, but are really, you know, unclear on how they can do that as LGBTQ individuals. So it's a, it's a very powerful film. And, and I think very, you know, it, it's a message. It's their stories that really resonate right now in our country. Mm. Um, uh, another film uh, that that screens on on Friday, uh, June fifteenth, and also on on the same day, June fifteenth, we have a great film by uh, documentary filmmaker Rory Kennedy, and this is a a history of NASA. It's called Above and Beyond, 
and we're screening that at the Air and Space Museum. Um, this is one of uh, several screenings we're doing this year at venues on the National Mall where we're connecting the film and the subject of the film to the place where we're screening it. So this is about NASA, it's at Air and Space Museum. Uh, we have a great art documentary on Saturday called Witkin and Witkin, and it's at the National Gallery of Art. Um, we also have on Saturday a great film uh, made up of archival footage uh, shot by William Wyler during World War II. It's called The Cold Blue. It's, a, it's another world premiere. And that's happening at the National Archives, where the footage that's actually made up makes the film uh, was, was has been at the Nar National Archives for decades. So, so we're doing a lot of screenings where the film and the subject matter really relates to the place you're watching the film. Yeah, that's really cool and interesting. So, folks, you can go out to uh, a particular place. And not only that, kind of be immersed um, with the art that's at the art museum, but then also check out a film about art. I, I think that's a really cool way to, to do it and kind of just, again, that immersion. Um, I also see that you got friend of the show, Ann Hornaday, doing a conversation on journalism or art with Chuck Todd. Can you talk a little about that? Right, right. Well, well, uh, you know, Ann's a you know, great friend of the festival and, and we've been working with Meet the Press and, and Chuck Todd over the last year, we launched a new film festival last November, the Meet the Press Film Festival, which is all short documentaries. And so, um, you know, and, and they're going to talk about the relationship between documentary filmmaking and journalism and kind of is, is, Film, you know, is filmmaking art? Is it, is it reporting? Is it journalism? Is it both? Can it be both? So it should be a very interesting conversation uh, with these two great uh, people, Ann and Chuck, together talking about documentary film. Yeah, most definitely, folks. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the director of AFI Docs, Michael Lumpkin. Um, Michael, one of most important questions is how can people get tickets? Well, you can go to AFI.com uh, and get tickets uh, and go to the AFI Documentary Film Festival page at AFI.com and uh, that'll take you right into all the films that we're showing um, and how to buy tickets. Um, so it's, it's, it's easy. And there's also an app you can download, AFI.docs app. Uh, so that, that's another way as well. Awesome. I think one last question before we kind of wrap out here. Um, why do you think that it's important that year after year and for years, um, AFI has put on AFI docs? Um, why do you think that it's important that people come out and uh, check out these documentaries and the festival? Well, I, I think documentaries are a really important art form. I, I think it's a, they're becoming more and more, I think, important and more and more popular. Um, so, and and it's and Washington is a great, you know, town for documentary films. Uh, it's it's kind of the center of a lot that's going on in the in the in the world, and and a lot of documentary films, uh, you know, either. You know, that kind of they, they come to Washington to shoot a segment of their film or their films are all about Washington and what goes on in Washington. Um, and also, I think there's so many, you know, people who are in Washington that are working on 
the topics, the subjects, the issues that, that a lot of the films are about. So I think documentaries connect very well with, with you know, the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, I think for those reasons, it, it, it makes perfect sense that this festival is where it is. Most definitely. It is definitely a documentary town. Folks, uh, get away and relax. Get some entertainment and some education this weekend at AFI Docs. Uh, Michael, if you could, uh, how could folks follow uh, the festival on social media, etc.? Um, we are, uh, you know, AFI Docs on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, so just, you know, AFI Docs, hashtag uh, Instagram, we're uh, American Film Institute. So those are all the ways you can connect with us on social media. Michael Lumpkin, director of AFI Docs. Thanks for coming on Picture Lock. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Let's take a quick break for promos. Stay tuned. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. All right, guys, so for this week's trailer reaction, I want to talk about the Halloween trailer that just dropped. Uh, it dropped last week on Friday, so I wasn't able to you know, react to it in time for the radio program. Uh, but, man, when, when I saw it, I absolutely loved it. Um, this thing has me hyped. I'm so excited. Uh, I just love how you know it unfolds. Um, just kind of given the backstory, you know, as 40 years later, we see the the iconic mask. And what I love about uh, this being, because because a lot of times we have these remakes that are, you know, unnecessarily done or, you know, reboots that are unnecessarily done. Nobody asked for it. But this is one that I am actually looking forward to checking out. Um, I love how the mask is weathered. Uh, from the years, and you can see it when he pulls it out, um, and especially later on in the trailer when he dons the mask. That's when I just I yelled out loud. I was so excited. Uh, I was so excited, in fact, that shout out to Epic Film Guy Justin. 
I sent him a text before I even finished watching the trailer because he is such a huge fan of Halloween and the series, him and uh, Brian Loy, shout out to him as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I was so excited. I, I sent him a text and I was like, man, I am blown away by this thing. Um, but going back to the mask and the weathering of it, I love that. I love the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis just looks like she has aged, uh, but she's been training and waiting for this moment the whole time. They show the scar on her arm uh, that's healed before they actually show her face. And then when they show her shooting that shotgun, man, you can tell she is ready. She's been practicing. Um, and then I love the, the scene when uh, the gas station, you know, uh, Michael goes in and he goes after that reporter. I mean, there's so many different little uh, kind of Easter eggs that like harken back to uh, prior Halloween films, um, pay homage to it. Uh, man, I am so excited about this film. I know uh, it's Epic Film Guy Justin's most anticipated film of the year. I am definitely going to allow myself to get scared in the movie theater just to see this film. You guys know I'm a, I'm a chicken. I don't, I don't like horror films. You're not going to catch me reviewing too many, but uh, on Halloween, for Halloween, I will definitely do that. So that's the Picture Lock uh, trailer reaction for this week. We'll see what we do next week. All right, guys, so Picture Lock's question of the week last week was, which Snick show did you love the most? I had a Twitter poll on the question and responses on Instagram and Facebook. As for the Twitter poll with 10 answers, we had all that and Alex Mack tied at 20%. And Are You Afraid of the Dark taking it for the win at 60%. On the gram, at hashtag your it said, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Look forward to Snick every week. At Mike S, the producer 13 said, You know, for me, it's between all that and Keenan and Kel. I can't decide. At NBA Zaya said Keenan and Kel. On Facebook, Rachel Arrington said all that. Linda Park Garner said Hey Arnold. Lauren Whitney said all that by far. All these shows were amazing. Jordan Manigo went with Are You Afraid of the Dark? Kelly Monique said all that. Matt Titus said he had a crush on Alex Mack. To which I said, So did I, Matt. So did I. <laughs> To which Brian Moore responded, agreed. Shout out to Matt Titus and Brian Moore. We all went to high school together. I don't think we all knew we had a crush on Alex Mack at the time. So it seems like us boys had a special reason to tune in to Snick and see our celebrity crush. And then Reggie Thomas said, are you afraid of the dark? Remember the comic book clown episode? Yes, I do, Reggie. And I almost remember the nightmares that went along with it. That was a great question of the week. I appreciate everyone who participated. This week's question is, what's the best TV sitcom family of all time? Hit me up on social media or send me an email, picturelockshow at gmail.com with your answer. If this thing gets any bigger, I'll have to just read the poll answers. <laughs> but I definitely appreciate everyone responding. Hey, this is Lonnie Martin, the writer-director of The Last of the Mansion Girls, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and I, I'm really looking forward to talking with my next guest. Uh, I met him at the Annapolis Film Festival, uh, where he was a Q&A host. He is film critic for 710WOR, a film journalist, 
former chief film critic and film editor at the New York Daily News, Joe Newmeyer. Joe, welcome to Picture Lock. Thanks, Kevin. A real honor to be here. We're talking film criticism today, right? The past of it, the future, <laughs> the present, the whole thing. Right, exactly. So, Joe, first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? You know, it's interesting. I think I, I first fell in love with film growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the Midwest in the 70s. Uh, I obviously saw movies in movie theaters and watched them on TV. But going to drive-ins with my family um, really sort of brought home the magic of movies. And it's funny because you wouldn't think that that, uh, the, that the aesthetic would be right because you're sitting there with the weird tinny sound on the, <laughs> on the speakers hooked out of the window and, uh, and you're watching, you know, the movie either sitting on the top of your dad's car or through the windshield uh, with a bunch of other cars around you and there's mosquitoes and all sorts of stuff. But it, something about it brought it home to me how magical film could be. And it was, you know, I saw Jaws and Jaws 2 and Grease and uh, a bunch of Disney films in the 70s. And uh, the first movie I remember seeing in a movie theater was Star Wars, of course. I was nine when Star Wars came out. But but something about drive-ins, man. I, it, it was really... Um, I think that I still, in some ways, you know, there's a few drive-ins still around the United States. Um, there's one called Shankweilers that I've been to. That's great. Uh, it's in Pennsylvania. And it's like the oldest still operating movie theater. It dates back to like 1934. It's a great little quaint place right off of Highway 80, Interstate 80. But it's, um, but so I, I, I think I'm always still looking for that experience. Even when I go to see a film for work to review, I'm always <laughs> trying to find that magical thing of sitting there as the lights go, as, as literally, you know, darkness falls and the movie gets projected. Yeah, you're chasing that high, that first high from the driving. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I've been doing this long enough, though, Joe, where, uh, you know, drive-ins, that answer has come up before. And I, I, oh, it has. The, oh, interesting. The, 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 the main theme, I think, of that I've noticed, especially this year, and just in terms of everybody that I've been talking to, um, you know, first falling in love with film usually happens and is centered around the family. And so it is really interesting how, you know, the magic of cinema, you know, kind of brings us together as a family. Um, so, yeah. I, so yeah, I, I love I love that answer. Um, yeah. The, the, and, and television, too. I mean, not to not to, you know, when we're growing up as kids, we're watching things on TV. Obviously, so many people do now and they introduce movies to their kids uh, watching Planet of the Apes or, you know, the Flim Flam Man or that the, the Adam West 1966 Batman movie on TV with my uh, with my dad, my brother, my mom. Like that was that was a crucial experience for me, too. So you're right. Yeah. Family is a, a it, it connects with you. You know, it makes that that link to your to your past. Exactly. And so, you know, Joe, if you could just give us your breaking in story. How did you get into film criticism? Sure. You know, I, I'm, I'm sort of one of those people. I kind of knew what I wanted to do so early, Kevin. I, I knew I wanted I loved film and I loved writing. And so was it at like 12, 13 years old. So when I was in high school, my freshman year of high school, 1982 uh, in Milwaukee, I combined those two and I went to the to the, the teacher moderator who was uh, handling the school newspaper. I was lucky enough to have a school newspaper um, in high school. And I said, I'd like to, I'd love to write uh, film reviews. And they said, sure. And they said, uh, they said, whatever you want to do, just go and see something. So I saw my favorite year, which was the uh, Richard Benjamin film from 1982 that Peter O'Toole actually uh, got an Oscar nomination for. And that was my first film review. I still have it laying around here somewhere. And I got a poster of it. It's a great poster actually. Um, 
And, and that was my first film review. And I wrote film reviews all through high school at, at that school newspaper. And then when I got to college, I wrote for anything and everything I could. I wrote for the, the col- one of the college newspapers uh, that I was at, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I wrote for two or three um, independent publications in Milwaukee. And I did radio reviews for a jazz station. And then, but then I technically kind of my first big break, as it were, was uh, I wrote a review of Vim Vender's uh, great film, Wings of Desire back in 88 for the Milwaukee Sentinel, which was one of two newspapers in Milwaukee at the time. It was the AM Daily, the morning paper. And, um, and I did a few others for them as well. Heartbreak Hotel, Chris Columbus's first film, and a few other things. But that, that Wings of Desire, that was my first review in a major, in a major newspaper. And um, after I moved to New York, I, I worked at Entertainment Weekly, and I, I worked at a lot of different places. I was at the New York Daily News starting in 2003. But that was my first, I guess, my first national uh, break, as it were, was was Wings of Desire for the Milwaukee Sentinel in 1988, and uh, they even quoted my four stars or whatever that I gave it in the ad in Milwaukee. <laughs> nice. They took that review from it. Yeah. So it. Uh, yeah. So I always have a. I just met Vim Vendors a couple of weeks ago, actually, at a Q and A. I should have mentioned to him that that Vim, you were my first uh, my first review in a in a major uh, in a major newspaper. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't have cared. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think um, that that first time that you know you either see your words on the bottom of uh, a movie poster or yeah. in print like that. Like, it, that's, that is a, a high for us as film critics. It, it is. And, 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 you know, and then, to, like, to think about who you're next to, when I, when I was at the Daily News, when I became the, the film critic at the Daily News in 2008, um, I gave a, you know, they used a quote of mine for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And it was just above or below, it was below, I think, Roger Ebert's, Review as it should have been, you know, would never be above, but below. Right, right. Uh, and and Ebert was a big influence on me, like on many. And and growing up in the in the Midwest, watching him and and Gene Siskel on on uh, sneak previews, and then Siskel and Ebert at the movies, that was really a, a a big a big thing for me, and and helped me fall in love with film criticism. And so to have my my pull quote on that newspaper ad in uh, in the New York Times and and New York newspapers, right next to Ebert's, was a was a thrill. Yeah, no, that's something you can't you can't uh, compare to anything. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with film critic for 710 W O R Joe Newmeyer. Joe, you know that. It, I wish I could say the same in terms of having a, a quote <laughs> right yeah. under Roger Ebert. Um, but you know, it's interesting how. Um, you know, we, we share that, that affinity for some of the critics that have, uh, you know, were before us. And, uh, you know, I can remember as a yeah. kid, you know, not, not realizing that film criticism would be something that I would ever do. But just watching Siskel and Ebert and then, you know, Ebert and Roper and, and just being like mesmerized with like, wow, they are talking about... Uh, this thing that I love, but doing it in such a way where they're breaking down the film. So I, I guess one question is, you know, what is it that you enjoy about, you know, film criticism that has propelled you to do it for all these years? Oh, it's a great question. And I think that, that one of the things, Kevin, that, that kind of ties it together with what you're talking about in terms of uh, all those critics. You know, I, I you know, grew, grew up reading uh, the local critics in Milwaukee and watching Siskel and Ebert. And then as I got older, I would read Pauline Kael and James Agee and Dwight McDonald and all these, all these great critics. Um, and I think then as now, what, what, what propelled me towards film criticism, what I loved about it then, what I love about it now in, in terms of doing it and reading it is that it, it's a, it's a conversation with 
an audience of one, the, whoever that reader is, between yourself and them. And yet it is also sort of this general, this big conversation. And it's sort of the, the link in some ways between, um, it's like you're sitting with a, with, with a friend after a movie, sitting at a, at a, at a coffee shop, and you're, and you're hashing out your ideas about a movie. And you can, you can, ex, you can express things you like, things you didn't like, things you, you loved about the movie, but you had some problems with this. Or, or, you know what, you really didn't like the movie, but you loved this thing about it. And I think that criticism for me, when I, when I first started watching Siskel and Ebert and reading it in newspapers and then um, and reading it now as, a, as an adult and, and in 2018, is that it, is, it brings new ideas to you. And, it, and it's the, you know, our most populist art form. Everyone loves movies. Everyone loves to talk about movies. You go to a picnic, you start talking, oh, did anybody see Jurassic World? Who saw, you know, uh, Infinity War? And people will have opinions and everyone will weigh in. And criticism is a way to, to, to bring around ideas, to, to have that kind of enthusiasm plus a level of, of, uh, of expertise that you could say it's similar to this or this shot is there for this reason. And it will bring up ideas that you never maybe thought about. Um, and then after seeing the film or maybe sometimes even before seeing a movie, if you read a review before, uh, it, it gets those ideas flowing. And I love that. I love the idea of this art form that I love. Uh, being talked about in a way that is making people um, think about think about it in different ways. Yeah, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that, you know, you do um, host Q and A's at film festivals. As I said, uh, I met you yeah. after you know you hosted mm-hmm. a Q and A uh, at the Annapolis Film Festival, yeah. and it's so a great I, Annapolis Film Festival. Those, yeah, it's I, one of my favorites in the whole country. I love it. Isn't <laughs> it like I've I what I have loved is seeing it from I forget I think I first started at like year two or something like that, yeah. and just seeing its growth and how like I, one thing one festival and I'm gonna get to this question, but. One thing that I like about those festivals that are kind of like not in a big city like New York where there's a bunch of other stuff to do, but like the festivals where you're going there for the films, for this film festival, how they like just the whole community kind of gets gets behind the film festival. And with Annapolis, you know, they line the streets with uh, the flags and you, yep. the logos and all that kind of stuff. And and so you get this sense of, you know, kind of camaraderie as, as you're going there. Um, so yeah, I, so I agree with you. It is one of my one of my faves. One of my favorite. You said it. You said it, which is that it, it, the community becomes the film festival. The film festival becomes the community. It's it's very, you know, symbiotic. They really uh, it becomes uh, you know intertwined. And right. uh, and Annapolis is great and is only getting better and better. And and every year has been fantastic for me. Uh, being down there, I hope to keep coming down every spring uh, for years to come because it's really <laughs> the people are terrific. The the the, the selections are terrific. The, it's beautifully curated. The the events are fantastic. And it's uh, it's really it's really a special place and a special film festival. I love it. Most definitely. So uh, you know, as I was saying, kind of piggybacking off of the last question, and and we're talking about. Um, you know, hosting, moderating uh, panels or Q&As at these film festivals. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how you got started doing that, but then also the magic and energy of that live experience? Because I think sometimes, you know, it's one thing when we talk about a film and, you know, we've had a little time to let it marinate and simmer or whatever, but something about, like, when we're discussing film issues and, you know, it's just that, 
for me, it's just like this, this feeling you get inside where like you're on and you're talking and it's that live discussion that even the people in the audience, you know, you can tell that they have that same energy where they're listening and yeah, that's right. Or no, you know, you can yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, you, you said magic and energy. That's a great way to put it. That's exactly right. I mean, it's sort of like if we just said a couple of minutes ago that, uh, that, you know, it's like every, after you see a movie, you go with a, a buddy to, or a friend to talk about it at a cafe. I mean, imagine that, imagine, you know, you've just seen the post, but you're lucky enough to, to be sitting at the cafe with Steven Spielberg and you can riff with him and Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep about the post, or, you know, you can riff with, uh, with uh, you know any any filmmaker about the film that they've just seen or an actor about the film that they were just in, um, that's what those Q and A's sort of are because there is that magic and energy there. And I'm I'm very lucky to have to have started doing it about like, like around 2011 or 2012 um, while reviewing at the at the New York Daily News um, where I was the chief film critic and the film editor. Um, I think I, I may have been approached by by the uh, Motion Picture Academy or or the Screen Actors Guild or somebody and asked if I wanted to do this i said sure and and it's really grown into you know one of the things i really love doing it's really a terrific part of my my job uh which is to act in some ways as a conduit between the artist and the audience i like to ask the questions that i think people would want to ask themselves or to follow up or to kind of touch on those things about the movie that they've just seen talking with these filmmakers directors producers writers actors uh, about that that experience that we all just had, and I, so I like to sort of, you know, I want to make sure that I'm sort of that that uh, that electrical connection between between the audience and the artist, and um, and it's really been such a such a special privilege, and and so now I especially around awards time, uh, you know, September to to January, um, you know, I may do like five or seven a week, and um, and it's really a, a special thing, and I think audiences really, um, you know, there's no better time. To, to, you know, kind of almost have that conversation with a filmmaker then right after you've seen that movie and, and watching audiences respond in certain ways and the energy in the room um, and, and filmmakers and, and actors really and screenwriters and producers all respond in such a, such a terrifically dynamic way. Um, and I always just like to think that, you know what, like and it, it's entertaining, it's informative and it's a lot of fun uh, for people to sit through, but it's also it, it also brings it back around. It's that that love of film that we that we're talking about, and it really is about. And in this case, you know, we're talking we're lucky enough to be talking with the people who made it. So it's uh it's really a terrific thing, and I love I love doing it. Love it. It's uh, Picture Lock. I'm your host Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with film critic for Seven Ten W O R Joe Newmeyer. He definitely understands. <laughs> Man, now I. I I was gonna put this like funny. I don't. I don't know if it's really funny. I was gonna say when you when you, when you said it's electric, I automatically thought boogie woogie woogie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm lame. Well, you know, but but it's it's a funny thing because there is that there's that jolt or you know it's funny because my mind went to uh you know the the scene in frankenstein where the when colin clive is in the laboratory and boris karloff is coming alive and there's the, the electrical you know lightning things right. going between you know in the in the mad scientist lab um or maybe 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 in mel brooks's young frankenstein maybe that's the that's the connection um but it, where, where there is just sort of that it's scary and it's funny and it's it, and it's exciting and that sort of that you know that live moment um 
with a filmmaker. Yeah. So maybe it is like the maybe it is like Dr. Frankenstein's lab. And you don't know what's gonna what's gonna come to life. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Well, uh, you know, it's been great talking with you, Joe. Unfortunately, we're gonna have to bring things to a close. But if people wanted to, you know, read your work, uh, check yeah. you out on social media, how can they do that? Well, I'm on Twitter at Newmeyer Movies. Uh, I'll spell it just because it's like a, a eye test is such a nightmare to spell. It's N E U M A I E R Movies. Uh, so that's where I'm at Twitter, and uh, and my reviews for W O R uh, are archived at uh, W O R seven ten dot com. Actually, I may I may have reversed that. It might be seven ten W O R dot com. One of the two. And then uh, and then of course all, a lot of the Q and A's that I do are filmed, so they're archived at various places. Uh, but if you Google my name, Joe Newmeyer, you might do like a Q and A or you know, Joe Newmeyer Q and A event. Uh, you'll find a lot of them at the at the Ampus site and at SAG and at a lot of those places. So, but if you, if you if you see me sitting next to Patrick Stewart, which was one of the recent ones I've done, that's so great. I'm the one with the beard. We're both sitting there bald, but I am the. <laughs> I'm the I'm the bearded one. Patrick Patrick is the one with the with the beautiful Stentorian English accent. <laughs> <laughs> nice man. I, I am going to Google that right now. Again, I've been talking <laughs> with Joe Newmeyer, film critic for 710 WOR. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks so much. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Roberta and Julian Jones, Michael Lumpkin, and Joe Newmeyer for coming on the show. Be sure to catch up on back episodes of the podcast and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock and tune in, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. I always appreciate those. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Be sure to follow me on the Stardust app for my quick movie TV and trailer reviews. Just look up at Picture Lock Show and I'll be there. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash show and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, you can fill out a form on the website. This week's question of the week again is... What's the best TV sitcom family of all time? Send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com or on any of Picturelock's social media pages, and I'll talk about it on the air next week. All music is done by Mike S. The Prophet 13. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film. <laughs>